Welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick discuss a drive-in double feature, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600 movies. Now, what is a drive-in film? Well, we're defining it as something that might be just below the mainstream, something from a genre that doesn't get the respect it deserves. These could be cult movies, midnight movies, jawas, slasher movies, exploitation flicks, erotic thrillers, etc. Or, these might just be movies that evoke the youthful spirit of drive-in cinema of the 1950s and 1960s. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim. Alright, Jim. Today we have uh, two movies, one being The Strangers from 2008, and the other being It, The Terror from Beyond Space from 1958, not to be confused with From Hell It Came, Stephen King's It... It 2017, It Chapter 2 2019, <laughs> or even there's another It movie. Oh, it came fr- it came from beneath the sea. There's a lot of It movies out there. Oh my god, too many It movies. As you mentioned, Patrick, we watched The Strangers and It. We're gonna call it It because it has a very long name. Or I'm gonna call it. There it. is an exclamation point after the It too. So they're really emphasizing the It. And I, I guess we should be yelling it too. You know, It. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind, Patrick, uh, I guess uh, we'll hop in to The Strangers from 2008. First off, it's starring uh, Liv Tyler and what was his name again? S- Scott Speedman. Scott Speedman, yeah. Yeah, uh, great name. Great movie. I think you and I both like it a lot. Um, Wrong. I, oh, oh, my oh my goodness. Fake news, am I right? Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I am not a fan <laughs> of this movie. Really? And we'll get into the reasons why. Okay, okay. Because I'm actually a big fan of this movie. I had seen this movie... I think the only times I've ever seen this movie has been on television. I had completely forgotten that it existed until you brought it up, and uh, I really enjoyed watching it again. Yeah, we referenced it in our first episode, actually, because in that episode we talked about Hush, which was a home invasion movie from a few years ago, and I I mentioned that, like, I think the big frame of reference for home invasion movies, at least in America, is usually The Strangers. There is, of course, Funny Games from Austria, but... I still haven't seen that movie, nor have I seen the English language remake, which, as I understand, is a shot-for-shot remake. So there's a lot of home invasion movies out there. I think The Strangers is certainly among the most famous, among the most popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, with that, and maybe I... among the worst. <laughs> yeah, see, uh, well, I guess you know, I want to hear your opinions at the end because, as as per usual, you and I don't really talk about these movies before we sit down to record. Yeah, we'll get into that in the end. But uh, continuing with The Strangers, uh, it opens with this kind of uh, true crime style documentary. I, what's one of the lines in the very beginning? Uh, it says America, something about like... There's 1.4 yeah. million violent attacks each year. You know? <laughs> yeah, and it says like... And then it says like this... The events of what happened here with this family or these people or whatever still largely remain a mystery. Mm-hmm. And it's basically... It's such a... If you've ever seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre... Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you actually have the original. It it's this is kind of a rip off of that, and I'm sure other movies have opened this way. But the whole documentary style voice, you know, kind of narrating thing, which I guess is that kind of thing is almost it's back now because there's so many like true crime podcasts and all that stuff. Yeah, I uh, actually quick question: Is it the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre that has like that cop footage at the end of it, or is it the remake? I don't remember cop footage in the original. So No, the original ends on a very famous shot, so that must be the remake, or maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, just the prequel to the remake. There have been way too many of those movies. I don't know. I get them all mixed up, all the 21st century ones. Anyways, after this true crime 
opening sort of thing. We are shown Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman uh, in a car. They're clearly upset. They pull up to a house, a kind of a rustic looking family home or kind of cabin among the pines sort of thing. We see that the house has been set up for what looks like... An engagement celebration. Yeah, yeah. Because we eventually learn that Scott Speedman's character, James, had proposed to Liv Tyler's character, Kristen... Yeah. But she rejected the proposal. They're exactly. not, so they're not broken up, but they're obviously each one has a different different point of view on where their relationship is, which is mm-hmm. kind of a potentially interesting dynamic. Well, and you know, too, and one of the reasons I like this movie is because you are immediately started out kind of on edge or kind of with that uncomfortable feeling, or at least I am anyways. It's it's not this happy-go-lucky family that then gets attacked by, by random people. It's this shitty situation that gets made even shittier. It's these miserable people that are made more <laughs> miserable. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. But anyways, as they're kind of trying to figure out what to do, one of the ways in which they're figuring this out is makeup sex. But that gets rudely interrupted by a knock on the door. So uh, James goes over and answers the door, and there's a woman asking for somebody named T- Tamara? Tamara, I think she says. Tamara? Yeah, I think Tamara. Yeah. And uh, so James says, uh, I think he has a of course, house. a reference to Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, I can only assume. Oh, is it really? No, I'm oh, sure it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say things like that. I'm so, I'm so gullible. Um, anyway, so James says, hey, you've got the wrong house. Uh, and the woman leaves. And it's like, it's something like really late at night. It's like one in the morning, maybe. I think it's yeah. 4 a.m. later, so I think maybe it's around 1 or 2 here. So yeah. oh, they're a little I, kind of unnerved by this. Yeah, and, and I I also kind of skipped over the part where James calls his friend Mike, who had helped set him up the house, or set the house up for, for their loving, really. And uh, he calls Mike and says, can you come and pick me up? Because things haven't gone the way that I planned them. Yeah, he does. He, he asks him to pick him up in the morning because he assumes Mike is, you know, pissed drunk right now. Mm-hmm. Also, Which turns uh, out is the case. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're right. It's it, this situation is kind of unnerving. You don't even see this person's face. She's she's in the shadows of of the night. Mm-hmm. Eventually, James leaves. You know, he's he's kind of fed up with the whole situation, as as I think anybody would be in this case. And he hops in his car and drives away. Well, he he wants to go for a drive, but specifically, Kristen is out of cigarettes, and so he's like, "Okay, I'll go get them." Because, oh, see, you're right. Because I've been meaning to get it. You're right. Yeah. But while he's gone, Kristen is kind of hanging out in the house and having a beer and walking around. And she sleeping. tries on the ring just out yeah. of curiosity. And then she gets it stuck on her finger. But then the woman comes back to the house and knocks on the door and asks for Tamara. And she says... Yeah, this time she doesn't even open the... This time Kristen doesn't even open the door. She's just like, you've already been here. Leave yeah. us alone. And she locks the door. Yes. So after this woman asking for Tamara comes by again, she calls James. Uh, she says, can you come home fast? You know, this this woman's come back and I'm, I'm a little I'm a little freaked out here. And she calls her from the home phone because her cell phone's out of battery. Yeah, so she's plugged it in. So uh, James says, yeah, sure, I, you know, I'll come home. And while she's waiting for him to come home, like a series of things goes wrong where, you know, the fireplace starts smoking too much. So she has to open the vent and then the fire alarm starts going off. So she takes the... Uh, the smoke detector. Thank you. That's you it. The, the smoke detector off the ceiling and drops it on the floor. And then, as she's doing that, bang, bang, bang. Somebody's really pounding on the door this time. This is She grabs a yes, knife yeah. at this point. Well, well, at this point, she actually, you're right, she grabs a knife, but the only reason she realizes somebody's in the house is because the smoke detector's put back on the pillow, or put, put on the pillow on the chair. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, so uh, 
Again, we hear this knocking on the door, but it's this really terribly loud knocking, so she, she's a little frightened and she, and she grabs a knife. But while she's doing this, somebody, we can see them in the background, they've snuck into the house and they're wearing this kind of white bag mask. And uh, she walks back Yeah, like, like a potato sack or yeah. a pillowcase kind of thing. Yeah, almost like um, that scarecrow mask from Batman Begins. Okay, I was going to say like Friday the 13th Part 2 a bit, oh, yeah. sure. Oh, okay, yeah. Or The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I haven't seen it. But anyways, um, she eventually realizes that somebody is in the house because she, she hasn't seen this person enter the house yet because the smoke detector that had fallen on the floor is back on top of the pillow on a chair. So now she's on edge, and these intruders or these, these would-be intruders are just pounding on the windows, on the door, on the house. So she kind of barricades herself in a bedroom, and then she hears the door open, and it's her boyfriend, James. He comes home, and she's trying to tell him, oh, you know, there's just, there, there's people out there. And he goes, ah, there's nobody. And then this is where the movie essentially just picks up into utter chaos for this for this poor, for this poor sulky couple. At this point, uh, the camera reveals, I don't think they notice yet, but the camera reveals that her phone, her cell phone, has been put in the fire. Oh, yes. Because that's when they're walking around the house together, and they're, and they're checking Yeah, they're looking around to see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and so... they, they eventually see the bag-faced dude at the window right was it him well i think what happens first is that they they spot the girl outside in amongst the trees okay and there's a great line where Liv tyler says there they are or there's one of them or something like that or there she is and uh scott speedman goes but why would anybody be doing this why why would somebody just be standing there (laughs) you know and little do they know they're in for one hell of a night but uh james decides to leave Outside, he decides to go outside because his phone is in the car. That's yeah, but right. But when he yeah. walks outside, his car's absolutely trashed. All the tires yeah, are flat. Yeah, it's been broken into. And there's no phone. So he comes back in the house, finds his phone, and he says, "Come on, we're getting out of here." So they both. Also, he his... did something with his car where he backed it up a few feet. What was yeah, that about? I, I have no clue. Was he checking the tires or something like? That? I have. They were clearly. Oh, flat. maybe that was probably it. Yeah, because then he said, "Oh, yeah. damn," and he went and he left. But okay, uh, so okay, yeah, that makes sense. He probably saw that the tires were slashed when he did that but anyway so him uh he, he goes back into the house and he grabs uh Kristen and he says we're, we're getting out of here and they hop in the car and as they're trying to drive away i really like this scene actually this pickup truck comes zooming around the corner and just destroys them just runs into them you know mm-hmm. so they run back into the house and hunker down they grab a shotgun and patrick as soon as this part came on i thought you know patrick would like this part these intruders uh, these oh, strangers start playing Merle Haggard on the record. Yeah, player. they could have. They could have played uh, "All My Friends Are Going to Be Strangers," but they I went know. with "Mama Tried," which you know, I was a thinking, great you know, Merle Haggard I, song. I don't think Merle Haggard has ever been that scary before <laughs> until this movie, of course. Yeah, and uh, now I remember. I I remember. I didn't remember much about this movie. I knew like I had seen it once before doing this before prepping for this episode and i remember there being a great use of one of my favorite country songs but i couldn't remember what it was and so i actually thought going into it i thought it was going to be gentle on my mind by glenn campbell Mm -hmm. i really was expecting that but they went with the hag so can't go wrong yeah and i mean i I, you know it's not a it's not a particularly scary song and the scene itself compared to the rest of the movie isn't particularly scary but the way it's uh it's done is spine tingling you know but anyways, so they've hunkered down in a room off the hallway with a shotgun. At this point, they know there are three people, I believe. No, I, there's... I, 
I don't think they do yet because you don't see the third. Well, there were there were until... at least two. With, there were at least two that attacked them because one yeah. was driving the truck and someone came at the car on foot. Yeah, because so they I at think, least I, know there are two. I think but the... there are three. There's a person with a doll mask. There's a person with Wikipedia lists them as pinup girl. I kind of just looks like a doll mask as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's bag face guy. Yeah, the one with the doll mask we don't see until James runs outside trying to get to the garage or shed or whatever it is. Because even that's creepy. That's disgusting. I hate the way I hate the way she moves in this movie. But anyways, yeah. So they're hunkering down in this in this room off the hallway with a shotgun, and uh, they're waiting for Bagman or somebody else to come in so they can blow them away. And as it turns out, their friend Mike pulls up and he gets out of the car and. He kind of sees their car that's all trashed and he walks into the house and sees everything is trashed and there's Merle Haggard playing on the record player and as he's slowly walking down this hallway, he's not calling out for anybody, you know. Uh, he's just slowly moving towards the the room with a light in it at the end of the hallway and Bagface Man is uh, is following him close behind. Yeah, he's walking as, behind. Yeah, and as soon as uh, Mike steps in front of the door with James and Kristen, he gets blown away by James' shotgun. Yeah, so unfortunately they kill their friend Mike who... What's that actor's name? I don't remember his name, but he's one of the guys from It's Always Sunny. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I've never seen It's Always Sunny. I just recognize, oh, that's that guy. Great show, by the way, Patrick. I recommend it. Yeah, so he shoots Mike dead. And they realize something's wrong because he didn't have a mask on. Well, at first I was confused because I've... Because when I watched the first time for this podcast, I was like, were they confused that they thought the whole time it was Mike? No, they, they thought... Yeah. They thought, like, after they shot him, they're like, oh, shoot, something is wrong because that person was not wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah. I picked up on that on the second time. But, yeah, so now James in, is, is upset, and he says to uh, Kristen, he says, you stay here, I'm going to go and, uh, and look for help, and he's going to go to this garage where there's, like, a CB radio. So he runs outside, and as he's going towards this garage, this doll-faced woman shows up, and she shines the light on him, and there's... I, I really like this scene because... You can hear like thump, 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 thump behind him. And he turns around and the bag face man comes up and grabs him. And we think James is dead there. And so, in, my, uh, in my opinion, this is when the movie completely goes downhill. Because it was like basically after this point, a bunch of things happen and nothing seems to motivate what the next thing that happens it just kind of seems to be a series like of um Liv Tyler kind of hiding in this place then going this place to hide and it just it really kind of everything at this point feels kind of inevitable like we're getting to that ending that was already teased a bit because we saw we saw kind of the aftermath of the crime scene in the opening scene yeah with a couple of little Jehovah's witnesses or whatever they were I think they're Mormons but yeah oh, okay <laughs> same same thing I mean it's the religious well, children was... wearing white shirts and black pants. And remind me when we get to the end of this, because I think that that inevitability makes this movie even better. Like that feeling of inevitability okay. that, that Liv Tyler's dealing with. But anyways, we'll talk about that at the end, which is very close. So anyways, so she decides to make a run for the garage. She gets the CB radio, tries to call for help. Dollface woman chases her out. I think she breaks her ankle because she falls in a ditch at some point while she's running out so she has to run back into the house and uh after us as patrick kind of just mentioned after a series of of live tyler hiding in various places and she's and, inside she's outside she's inside she's outside yeah kinda. yeah she uh she gets knocked out and dragged across the floor and we hear a scream then it cuts to black and then uh we see these three killers open the blinds of the house and it's morning it's daylight and her and james have been tied to uh, some chairs. Yeah, James is still alive, which is yep. a bit of yep. a surprise. You would expect him to be dead. Yeah. 
there's this great line. I don't remember if it's Liv Tyler or I don't remember if it's a uh, uh, Kristen or James asking, but one of them says, "Why are you doing this to us?" And this, uh, I guess, like the younger girl, because there's three. There's this. It almost seems like they're a family. You know, you have like bag faced dad, doll faced mom, and yeah, I definitely, d- I definitely get like a Manson family cult yeah. vibe from these people. Not necessarily that they're blood relatives, but that they've got some kind of pact together or something. Yeah. But yeah, so there's this great question that one of them poses to this family. And they said, you know, why are you doing this to us? And this this youngest family member says, because you were home. Yeah, this is this is the moment of the movie right here. This the, I remember this line, like even before I'd seen this movie, I was familiar with this moment mm-hmm. that it's a pretty famous line at this point. Yeah, and then uh, right after they say this line, the family members start taking their masks off. And they just proceed to stab James to death and then stab Kristen to death, or at least we think to death. And uh, then it cuts to these two little Mormon children coming down the street. Before we get into the part with the children, I, I have we have to point out that like though everybody takes off their masks here, the camera doesn't mm-hmm. reveal anything. So yeah. their Large. identities are a secret to us, even though they are revealing themselves to the people they're about yeah, to kill. Now, that's actually on my list of likes. I was going to bring that up for my... Uh, list of likes but yes yeah, oh yeah this this scene thing. this scene is pretty strong even though i i've had a problems with the with the past 20 minutes or so leading up to this this scene's pretty good mm-hmm. but yeah so uh then this family drives away in their pickup truck and uh we see these two little mormon children with pamphlets and they're stopped by this family and again we still don't see their faces and the younger yeah the, but they're the not youngest... wearing the masks at this point Exactly, yeah. And uh, the youngest family member gets out, and what does one of the kids say? Something like, uh... Oh, she asks for a pamphlet, and he's like, are you a sinner? That's it, yeah, and she says sometimes. Mm -hmm. So she takes the pamphlet and gets in the truck. Which, which, what kind of, like, uh, for lack of a better term, hyper-religious kid asks if someone's a sinner? Everyone's a (laughs) sinner. You know that if you're a a religious person. Yeah. Maybe she needed to admit it. I don't know. Plot hole. Big plot hole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then it just uh, follows these two kids coming upon the crime scene, which we were treated to at the beginning of the movie as a taster for the end. One of the kids finds Liv Tyler lying on the ground, which, by the way, their bodies have been all moved, and like things have been further moved in the house from where we lost, from where we last saw them being killed. Which mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, we why. didn't see much of Liv Tyler being killed because it pretty much cut away as she's being stabbed, and we heard, hear her screams. But yeah, nice yeah. tasteful cutaway where we see Scott Speedman being stabbed. Yeah, one of these kids is approaching Liv Tyler, and uh, as he reaches out to touch her, she grabs him and starts screaming, and then the movie ends. Yeah, and that's it. It's an emotional ride for sure. I wouldn't even call it a roller coaster because you start out feeling bad for this couple and then it just gets worse and worse and worse until the end of the movie. And by the way, I also breezed over a part where because at the beginning when she tried on this ring, she couldn't get it off her finger. And yeah, as, you mentioned that. Yeah, and then as James is being stabbed, oh, I see. he looks down and she's wearing the ring. Yeah. And they and they're just saying I love that's you, right. I love you over again as they're both being Yeah, that's a stabbed. nice little moment. It, you you kind of get the impression not that it matters because they're about to be killed, but you kind of get the impression, oh, maybe she reconsidered the proposal, yeah. but But uh like, too late. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I think I think we've heard a bit about my opinions. I like the movie, but I want to hear why you don't like this movie. Okay, so first off, I would like to point out that just this movie is the perfect example to me of, I in the past, I, I think with the original Frankenstein, I talked about a horror movie doesn't have to be scary to be good. Mm-hmm. And that's especially true, obviously, for older movies because they're not scary today. But I think sort of 
I don't, I guess maybe the inverse is, is, is also true. It's like a movie can be scary and not be good or a horror movie can be <laughs> scary and not be good because I think that's what's going on here. I think this movie is very scary. It has many unnerving moments, but I think it's just like for me anyways, it's that first act is we're trying to focus on these characters a lot and we actually just we understand their relationship but we understand so little about each of them individually that i think it kind of hurts in the long run mm-hmm. again but i think even bigger than that i think my biggest complaints are just after you know seemingly at seemingly after james is killed we know he's not technically killed because he gets killed later but after he's kind of removed from the story the movie just it's things happen it's it's there's not mm-hmm. there's not really plot progression i mean there's barely a plot in this movie to begin with and that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's just the type of story being told there's not going to be much plot but it's like with with a i think you need some really tight writing with a story like this and that's you know i hate to reference the previous episode but i think that's what we got with the movie hush it's interesting that you said that because i like this movie a lot more than hush Okay. Like maybe maybe a whole head and shoulders more, and I and I thought Hush was a great movie, but with this movie, I think it did things well. Some things, I guess, a heck of a lot better than Hush did. One of those things is that we never see the crazy intruders' faces because they're just crazy. Like because you know, there's there's really no character for these. I guess, for lack of a better term, bad guys. They're just crazy. That's all we need to know. They're just insane people who are wearing masks and like murdering people in the dead of night and i like that we never see their faces even after their masks have been removed and they're stabbing people or even after they're driving away in the car and we see the back of their heads we still never see oh, their see faces. that that almost felt like a cop-out for me actually when they remove their masks and then the camera just like doesn't show it that's that feels like purposeful uh, but like to the point of irritation um yeah, but, just i don't know <laughs> but if you think about it i mean because one of my problems with hush when i I guess when I brought up my problem with Hush was that the killer removes his mask too soon. And he just he just looks like a normal kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't look threatening in any way other than him wielding a crossbow. Like think of how I don't even know if you could say the same with like Jason or Leatherface or Michael Myers. But I mean, if you have like or Kevin Spacey. Some... Yeah. Oh, good one. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know if you could Among say the them same. who is the greatest monster that is up for debate. That's Kay Spacey. Poor guy. Well, not really. Anyways. No, not, no, no. We are not sympathetic towards him. No, I'm not. And he's got lots of money, so he'll he's doing fine. But yeah, I mean, if you think about it, in any of these other kind of like horror slasher movies, if you had these killers remove their masks and you saw like, uh, like a, just a normal face, wouldn't that, to you, make it like less impactful not necessarily i mean i think certain movies are just going for something different i think like to me i think in in a movie like this again home invasion movies are all kind of about the randomness of violence Mm -hmm. to me the killer should just be a normal guy and therefore Mm -hmm. i don't really care you know if the mask is removed and we see it's just a normal guy that to me thematically makes sense i think by having them remove the masks and not showing us it it almost lends this kind of like mysterious power to these people that actually kind of conflicts with the message of the movie i would say really because i just I mean, I mean a bit. It's not a big deal. Like because overall, I do like that scene. I don't think this scene like ruins the movie or anything. But mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's interesting because I've always just taken it as they're just normal people who are batshit crazy, but it makes it, I, I don't know, it just somehow makes it scarier that you never see their face. And I can't explain why. All I can say is that it just makes it scarier for me for whatever reason. All right, so not to, you know, completely hate on this movie because even though I don't like it, I, I, I recognize certain things about it that are quite good. And really the most obvious to me is Liv Tyler's performance. Mm-hmm. Like, she is really, really good. She's really good when she's just moping around, you know? But she's, and she's really good when she's in terror. And yeah. essentially, it's it's kind of unfortunate the, the movie really only asks her to show those two kind of emotions, but, he pull, but she pulls them off both really well. So credit to her. Once I had a friend say, um, I, if I could be anybody on the planet, it would be Liv Tyler in a long black veil moping around the woods. <laughs> I said, okay. Sure, whatever. But every Where, time I how does of... Lefty Frizzell come into this? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I uh, I was telling you that Liv Tyler didn't want to see the actors in their masks or even know what the actors were going to be doing on set so she could have these genuine emotions, I guess. And I was watching an interview with her and... Damn it, what's his name again? Scott Speed Speedman? Speedman, yeah. <laughs> Dumb name. No offense, Scott Speedman. But they were saying that after the impact of that like initial scene where you'll have the actors come up and scare you, if they had to do another take to get themselves uh, like upset and out of breath, they would run a few laps around like this warehouse that they were recording in. So okay. they'd, they'd come back like after five minutes and they'd be completely out of breath and then you'd have these people chase them around or they'd have to run through the woods or whatever. And yeah, so I mean, pr- pretty much everything you see, emotional and physical, they are, I guess they're attempting to drain themselves to look better for the movie, which I thought was really neat. I mean, I hate actors, so when I hear stuff like that, I always <laughs> I always have to be, like, a little suspicious of it. Like, yeah. let's take Liv Tyler's perspective for a second. Let's say she had seen the actors that attack her in the movie before that, which, like, I mean, she knows she's making a movie. Does it really matter yeah. <laughs> if she knows, if she recognizes the person who comes after her? I just, I don't know. I feel like that's a little... Well- you know, I, I, I feel like actors are full of themselves and like like to kind of prop themselves up in a way. But, well, you know, but she I, does a good job, so I'll give her that. I knew when you and I went into uh, Hallow Scream that that was all just a big fucking Halloween theme park joke, but I was still scared shitless. Yeah, that's that's fair. I Yeah, there were some great reactions there. <laughs> <laughs> when we got lost in the fog, and by we, I mean me. <laughs> Although the, the, the Hall of Mirrors was the best. That lady was completely pointing you in the wrong direction just oh. because she knew that she could get you easily. Yeah, I ran into like three mirrors. It was... <laughs> uh, but anyways, but yeah, well... I think um, one very, very minor negative thing I have about this movie is the house itself. Mm-hmm. The house visually, the house just looks like a suburban house. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it almost looks like it could be your house, like honestly. Like it doesn't have that like secluded look about it. And I mean, yeah, sure, we don't see other houses around it. It just looks like it like belongs in society, you know? I, I don't need a full on Evil Dead or Cabin in the Woods type cabin in, in the woods, but I, I want to <laughs> have something that just visually translates more to seclusion. Because it's it's like, it seems weird when he, when he goes out to get her cigarettes and he's gone for like. I don't know, an hour for however long he's gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't really know. It's like, it just doesn't seem right, right? And But then we, we look out, we like see the driveway and the road, and there is like nobody around, so whatever. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of torn on that. I agree with you that it 
I I think their movie required like a more secluded setting, but but not too much more. Just like down a longer dirt road and completely surrounded by woods. But I think I liked the fact that the house looked like it could have been my house because it because the, the movie did start off with what the, that that statistic that every year there's 1.4 violent every every year 1.5 million home and invasion it, it horror be, movies are made and released to theaters near you. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I didn't really mind it. I was watching this thing that uh, the director, uh, Brian Bertino, said about it. And he said that he had actually... He was thinking about his childhood home when he when he uh, okay. found the house. And he also filled it with things that his parents would have in the house. And Christ, there's a, there's like a clock on the wall in one room that is literally hanging on the wall okay. in the kitchen <laughs> of my parents' house right now. I would like to point something out yeah, about I mean, Brian all... Bertino. First of all, he's... The Strangers, if we haven't said, was a huge hit. This movie was really, really successful. I remember hearing a lot about it when it Mm -hmm. came out. At the time, I didn't really like scary movies, and this was like right before I could go and see R-rated movies, so it's not like I would have seen it, but... Like, I heard a lot of people talk about how great it was, how scary it was. I heard some other people talk about not liking it, but nevertheless, it was a huge hit. You'd probably expect the writer-director of that to go on to have a huge career, and he really hasn't. I'm looking at him now, it's like, the other movies he's been involved with I've never heard of, with the exception of this movie's sequel, which came out 10 years later, and he only has a I think he only mm-hmm. has a writing credit on it. And then also The Black Coat's Daughter, which I bring that up because, one, it's a very good movie, but two, I just... The Black Coat's Daughter is a horror movie written and directed by Osgood Perkins, Anthony Perkins' son, the, you know, Norman Bates from Psycho. And it was for some reason in Google Play's, like, section on, like, or maybe it was on Netflix. I can't remember, but it was on somebody's section for, like, films by women or something. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Oz Perkins, no way. And then I looked it up. There's like five or six producers credits. And I think one of them was a woman. And I'm like, okay. should that really qualify? <laughs> no, of course not. not. <laughs> anyways, he had a, he had a, he was one of the yeah, well, you know, five or four or five producers on there. That wasn't a woman, I guess. Brian Bertino. Well, you know, and it's funny that you bring that up because I was going to say, I've never heard of his name other than oh yeah i had to look him up because i i had because again this movie was a huge hit it did well it was inexpensive to make so it was a huge huge profit margin and i'm surprised at how Mm -hmm. little success he's had since then and i don't think this is a poorly made movie i think i don't i'm not a big fan of the writing but i think the direction is fine the look of the movie's pretty great it's got some really kind of creepy lighting with that like harsh fluorescent light coming from like i don't know the street lights or whatever lights are out around the in the exterior scenes that are around the house Mm -hmm. around the driveway like those scenes look pretty good yeah and i mean i like this movie even more after kind of digging into it a bit because i was watching interviews with uh with the director and he was saying that he was inspired to make this movie or i guess the, the inspiration for this movie came from the the murders that the manson family carried it which we can see that makes so much strong, sense yeah. the, the strong influence of that and also a series of break-ins in his neighborhood when he was a kid okay which is also pretty interesting i mean um, i guess that would kind of explain the parents house setting which is also weird because i was thinking about it when i watched it the second time why would they be hanging out at his at James's parents' house, or like the house where he grew up. I think he kind of That's kept like it as like stuff. a secluded cabin type thing. I, that was the impression oh, I had. Okay. But I also had the impression mm-hmm. that he hadn't been there in a long time. So, but I don't really know. Doesn't matter ultimately. 
The other thing that I really love about this movie is the music and just the overall ambiance to it. I mean, when there's nothing going on in the scene, you can hear crickets and like the crackling of a fire and whatever record is on or whatever. And oh, yeah. The skipping record stuff was really creepy. I can't remember if it was the oh, Merle yeah, Haggard song that was that was skipping or if it was a different no, song. No, it was, it was, yeah, it was something else. Yeah, that was pretty unsettling. All in all, I liked this movie a lot. I forgot how much I liked this movie. Oh, actually, I want to bring up one more thing that I found out about this okay. movie, which I thought was interesting. I saw in two separate interviews, Liv Tyler and uh, Brian Bertino oh. were talking about <laughs> about uh, about when they showed this movie as as like a as a screener, as as like a test screener, mm-hmm. and the audience hated it. Yeah. Well, I, I I guess they liked it up to the end, but when it had come to the end, a lot of the audience members walked out and wrote feedback on cards, like saying like. Is this supposed to be a snuff film? This was, this was all just a lead up to. A oh, snuff this film? is more nonsense. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't accept oh, this. Really? No, this is. Come on, this is. Oh. This is more that like. Well, well, apparently, apparently, the ending was different. Okay. So apparently, the ending they had just like this this quote unquote family had just brutally murdered. Oh yeah, the Mormon kid stuff um, seems kind of slapped together at the end. To be honest, that seems yeah, like so let's think, throw a jump scare in at the on. end. Yeah, so I think that was tacked on, and I think the ending was probably just like it probably just ended with uh uh james and well, yeah we uh, we probably origin originally in the movie you probably actually saw Liv tyler get stabbed i mentioned we kind of cut away from that yeah, but anyways that but that I mean, stuff's I, I, nonsense this is more just like hey we heard how controversial funny games was when that came out we're doing the same thing so we'll just act like this is as controversial like no one thought this was a snuff <laughs> film come on Liv tyler was in lord of the rings <laughs> no one no one on earth she saw was, this yeah. and thought it was a snuff film I, i'm oh my god that Liv tyler's been murdered <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy oh i hate oh, yeah. I, so many like just uh everybody wants their movie to be shocking and original and <laughs> <laughs> and you know everything like that and the lies that people tell <laughs> to make it seem so <laughs> is just really frustrating to me i'm sorry <laughs> well yeah well i guess i guess on that note um i think that sums up your uh, your, your your major opinion of the movie and i liked it a lot and um and so now yeah, we're going that, to guess... now we're going to talk about a movie that actually is a snuff film it's called it the terror from beyond <laughs> space <laughs> that's a solid joke (laughs) yeah no this is um well it it the terror from beyond space aka the movie that ridley scott remade when he made alien because pretty much Uh, so aka it the vampire from beyond space vampire oh yeah yeah i guess he guess he's kind of a vampire that's fair the original title for this was it the vampire from beyond space okay yeah all right i mean well he does drain blood so that makes sense um, yeah. Which can I would just which, like I mean, to definitely... lead off. So this movie came out in 1958. We all know in the 1950s, huge decade for science fiction, for alien invasions, stuff like that. Uh, I'm a big fan of 50s sci-fi. To me, there's such a like, um, there's such a uh, a 50 sci-fi dealing with like aliens and other planets and stuff like that. There's such like a mm-hmm. genuine curiosity about the 
about the universe around us. Of course, because this is like the start of the space race. Sputnik had gone up before this movie came out, but I don't believe any manned person had gone to space yet. I mean, there's such like a genuine curiosity mixed with an abject horror. Like there's like a, there's like a weird mix of like scientific curiosity mixed with like religious feelings of like almost like guilt. Like we shouldn't really be doing this. And I just think that's really interesting and manifests itself in very interesting ways in a lot of sci-fi movies. It's also kind of like that with uh, with Star Trek a decade later, just less of the religious feeling and more of more of the horror. Aspect. Yeah, Star Trek's like, definitely going for like a post-religious kind of thing. Yeah. Anyways, this movie is uh, was actually it was an it's considered an independent movie, which this movie had to have been, had a pretty darn good budget for an independent movie because you know the, I think you will agree that the spaceship sets pretty good for the time. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but I think, I think the really big thing holding this back from being that top tier 50s science fiction movie, from being up there with the War of the Worlds, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Day of the Earth Stood Still, Forbidden Planet, movies like that, which are just like masterpieces, Mm -hmm. is the alien costume. We will get into this, (laughs) but yeah, anyways. So It, The Terror from Beyond Space, takes place in 1973, you know, the the far (laughs) distant future. future. Well, um... (laughs) Yeah, where a um, a team of people had been sent to Mars, and, but there's only one surviving member, his name being Colonel Edward Carruthers. He's the only one surviving. He has to wait a long time. Eventually a rescue ship comes, and they pick him up, and he understands he's going to be on trial for court-martial for murdering his nine other companions, even though he insists he didn't do it. He insists there was some creature. Everyone else thinks he's nuts. We see a, a literally everybody, even people on Earth. Yeah, because we because we see a little thing of in Washington of I don't exactly know who that was supposed to be. If he's supposed to be like a military guy, but the head the head of space. I, like he's wearing a suit, but it was the 1950s. Everyone wore a suit back then, so for all I know, he was homeless. You know. <laughs> Anyways, but there is like a, a good amount of attention to for to like procedure to like military kind of procedure in this movie that makes it feel a bit like a Star Trek, but not less like a you know just hack job B movie monster kind of yeah. thing. And I think that's kind of interesting. I, I also want to point out something else that reminded me of Star Trek because again, this is the first time I saw this. All the background noises, like you can hear background noises of lights, yeah, or of like things beeping, and I'm like, oh, that's so Star yeah. Trek. <laughs> and and the monster, we'll get to it, but I got major salt monster vibes from like the was it, the second or third episode of Star Trek, the original series, was like that dude that yeah, yeah, sucks the salt out of people. It's basically the same thing going on here. But anyways, so this rescue ship led by Colonel Van Heusen, who they just call Van most of the time, is bringing. Carruthers back to Earth. He knows he's going to be court court martialed. Uh, Van Heusen, more than the others, seems like excited to prosecute this guy. He's like, "Oh, we've got. We may not have the bodies, but we've got more than enough evidence." And I'm like, "Bro, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, calm down. You just you're just you just let him get home. It, it's <laughs> going to take you two years to get home. Let's, let's just really we can talk about this on the way." But they they apparently found they found the skull of somebody and it's got a bullet hole in it and in his Mm -hmm. opinion that means like okay he shot him 
and he also mentions that like the food you guys had would would only last you like a month and yet you and nobody else lived 10 months or something so he's thinking they don't say it but he's probably thinking cannibalism didn't he say that that he said you could live for 10 years with that? oh maybe it's, I thought, I why know. would you want to live by yourself on mars yeah i don't know but anyways um van he colonel van Heusen's not the smartest guy he actually does something fairly smart towards the end but uh he's kind of annoying he's he's overzealous he's the overzealous prosecutor if you will everyone else in the ship mm-hmm. seems to like not really have a problem with carruthers Carruthers eventually tells the story of what happened to one of the women. There's two women on this ship. I think there's Anne and there's Mary. Yeah. I think this is Anne. But he tells... Yeah, because Mary's the, the, the physician or whoever, or the yeah. doctor. She's like Bones, right? Yeah, and Anne, I think Anne's like a nurse Anne is too. Anne but, but, uh, yeah. but anyways, he's telling her what happened and it's basically he's out in a jeep on Mars' Mars's service with other people and some figure, some creature presumably grabs the person he's with and just like runs off and then there's a sandstorm so nobody can really see anything and all 10 of them are out there and he's the only one that makes it and so that in that explains the bullet hole is that he's shooting everyone's shooting guns off into somewhere and they can't see so he figures one of those bullets must have happened to have hit one of his men who was probably already dead mm-hmm. oh and at, at some point of course the monster gets aboard the ship we just kind of see, we see a lot in shadow, which, by the way, I love the way the movie shoots this thing in shadow. First of all, the costume's bad, so it should shoot it in shadow because it looks pretty good in shadow. But like some some good yeah. cinematography here. And then we see its little feet walking around. We're not little feet, but we see its feet. Yeah. So the monster's aboard, and he's in like the storage area, I guess. In the cargo. The hold cargo hold. The, yes, like I, the lowest level of the ship. I don't or have my sci-fi terminology right. Um, <laughs> which can I just point out? It's a sci-fi movie that yeah. takes place 15 years in the future. They didn't give them lasers. Yeah, it's kind of it's right? kind of refreshing. It's like because I've seen like so many things. It's like made in the 60s. This takes place in like the 90s, and everyone's got like lasers. And it's like I mean, come on. Here we're not here, heading. Jimmy, in that put direction. on your jetpack and grab your portable laser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like no. We just have normal guns. We have grenades. The weapons are really the only thing sci-fi here. Or the only thing futuristic here is the actual vehicles, the space vehicles, because they use a Which jeep. Also, by the way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And by the way, I love that they're so willing to shoot off guns, which we haven't got to that yet, but they're so willing to shoot off every kind of gun and blow up grenades. Oh, yeah, that, we'll talk about that. Space. Yeah, because I, I, <laughs> I, that's some of the more amusing stuff for me. But anyway, so with the monster aboard, and I, I think I'm going to call it a monster here because it's more monster to me than alien, you know? I mean, it literally yeah. is an alien, but like it's just classic like monster from like the 40s or, you know, it kind of just has that look. But so some people are playing chess and... One guy kind of wanders around looking for something or just, you know, he's in the cargo hold. And then he is attacked and he screams. And one guy named Gino claims to hear something and he thinks something's the matter but nobody else really believes him. So Gino goes wandering and then Gino gets attacked and it's kind of this roundabout way. Because eventually everybody starts looking for Gino and we hear them call Gino about 45,000 times. Yeah, yes. And I'm thinking, like, why wasn't it just Gino? Did we need one person to get attacked to get Gino in there? I mean, how really? I th- I think they were writing the script and they realized they had one too many characters. It's like, ah, shoot. Let's well, get know, a twofer in is, there. This is kind of, again, like, Star Trek's like a decade later, but this is kind of like that Star Trek issue where, like, one person gets killed. And they're like, huh, we don't know what's going on yet. Oh, well, no, somebody else has gotten killed. Okay, now we sort of know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, because anyways, they find him, um, they find an arm from the first guy in like this vent. And then one of the guys climbs in 
event from a, in a different opening and finds Gino. Gino's technically alive, but he, he, he looks like he's inches away from death. He's and this was true of the dead body that they found but he's just like gray and pale and just kind of like disgusting looking and as he's trying to bring gino out the monster comes by and attacks this guy i don't remember the name there's a lot of characters here but he gets out they're not able to get gino the monster i guess grabs gino and goes away and then people uh being really quick thinkers agree to set up the they uh i don't know if wire is the proper term but they attach grenades to these air dunked like vent yeah. openings uh so that if any if anybody opens the vent boom and it's great and again this is so like this is so like pre-actual manned space travel technology speculating because it's like oh in order to send a man to space or especially to mars these things must be massive these these ships are massive they're huge they must be able to withstand anything so it's like yeah, yeah. so they, yeah. they just wire like 45 grenades to these things <laughs> it's great also i want to point out too the best part about this is that I mean, the ship looks so cool and the set looks so cool because you have like this series of of ladder steps yeah, going up to other levels. And if you think of the ship as as standing vertical, uh, which I mean, I guess we see it. Yeah, we see some exteriors of it. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's like five or six different levels with like the cargo hold on the bottom. And then next is like whatever. And then third is kind of like a doctor's or like a, a doctor area, then like living quarters and yada, yada, yada. But it, it's just so neat the way it's set up. Yeah, the it's geography really of this is actually kind of interesting. I mean, it's not like it's not like one of those Star Trek technical maps that, that losers <laughs> draw up, you know, to explain where everything <laughs> is in the Enterprise. But it's like there's some thought put into this. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways, with the grenade trap established, everyone kind of goes back upstairs and they tend to the guy that was kind of attacked by the monster when he took Gino. And then they hear the explosions going off. And by the way, they're also listening to the lower level on like an intercom system. Yeah, it's great stuff. Which is, yeah, which is great. And also kind of funny because they're just huddled around it like it's a, like it's a radio in the 40s, yeah. you know. What's going like, on? Oh, no, uh, <laughs> we've got food rations coming this week, and watch out for the bombing this uh, Saturday night. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, um, so the grenades go off, and this is we get a lot of glimpses of the monster here. And again, it's a bad costume, but with all the smoke from the grenades and stuff, it looks okay. It doesn't look awful. Mm-hmm. It's when we get the full-on shots, which at this point, I think in this at this point in the story, I think we've already gotten one or two of those, but. I, I want yeah, this, I, this monster looks so bad. I want it 100% in, sa- in shadow or just covered in smoke grenades kind of thing. Like, that's what I want from this guy. Well, yeah, well, and it's even difficult because when the monster starts moving, it's it's so clear that it's just a person in a suit. Yes. And, like, after these grenades go off, he's walking around going, arr, like, putting his hands up to his, or his claws up to his eyes. Yeah. They, like, rubbing them. <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, I, and now is as good a time to any to actually talk about this suit. How would you describe the look at this guy the design of the monster if you will i mean if i want to give the viewer a good description of him he looks kind of like two different suits for two different monsters put together okay i'm thinking of two specific but go ahead so i'm thinking you know you have like a lower half of something and then an upper half of something with with oversized arms and claws and he's got this goofy mouth that's wide open yeah the mouth's the worst part they're also wide open 
Which, now, before you say what you were going to say, the guy, the actor who was in the costume, refused to, like, drive to the outskirts of L.A. for, like, a costume. (laughs) So, when the guy, so when whoever designed the costume and made the costume and sent it into the studio to start filming, this actor's apparently bulbous chin was so big that it was, like, pushing through the mouth of the costume. So they had to get a painter on set to paint a tongue over the guy's chin so it looked like he had, like, this tongue kind of, like semi protruding out of his mouth which if you can see in some of the shots it looks like his mouth or his tongue is like rolled up in the forefront of his mouth yeah yeah (laughs) so i I, um anyways the two things i'm thinking of um i'm thinking zat aka the bloodwaters of dr z which is the gold standard of awful monster costumes i.e but but, i mean that's definitely the legs that's made in definitely the legs i mean that comes out in 1971 it's in full color we get many many shots of the monster just walking around so i mean honestly that looks worse but i'm thinking a combination of that and then you probably don't know what this looks like but the galaxy the alien from the first outer limits episode the galaxy being which is a very kind of there's not a lot of detail on that the alien's body it's very minimalistic but i kind of i feel like combine that with zat and that's what you got here yeah actually to be honest when i first saw the suit i thought of zat as well i thought no way (laughs) that's never a good sign again i give this (laughs) i give this movie a bit of a pass because it's 1958 and not only is it 1958 but it's independent in 1958 and so Mm -hmm. if we're talking about maybe the quality or the budget of a 1958 independent science fiction movie I think we're probably in the territory of, like, 1945 B-movies, possibly. I mean, I don't really know. Yeah, well, and, you know, and I can tell you, I'm betting most of the budget for this movie went into the set, the effects, and the crewman's shirts, because I dug those. Oh, yeah, no, and I was going to say that with the exception of the monster, which looks bad, the budget in this movie seems to be pretty well spent, because... The mm-hmm. sets, you know, they're not not a lot of flourish, not a lot of decoration, but they're good for what they are. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't shock me to learn that each level was just the same set used over and over again, but I'm going to give them some credit and assume that's not the case. But that would not shock me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually think a few of them were probably repeats, but... No, anyways, um, and you get some nice... Um, we'll get to it later, but the scene where the people are walking on the outside of the ship... I love that. That's, I mean, that's super easy to do in terms of there's not a lot into that, you know, the effects there, but it looks great for, you know, 1958. I think that's really effective. Mm-hmm. Again, exception the monster. This is, this movie knew how to spend its money. You know, it has a decent enough score for what it is, and that a lot of times with cheap movies, they don't anticipate how important the score is to a motion picture. So the alien's out. They, they, when everyone hears the grenades going off, they kind of smile thinking, oh yeah, we got them. But then they continue to hear them growling and they're like, oh, this isn't good. (laughs) So they eventually kind of go down there because he's trying to get upstairs. And again, just a reminder about the geography of the ship. Each level has like a ladder going up to like a hatch, like a rounded kind of something you'd see like on top of a tank, like something like that, Mm -hmm. like an army tank. And he's trying to break up and everyone gets their guns and they start shooting him. And again, it's it's just normal guns. It's it's rifles and it's pistols. He actually grabs. Yeah, I think like ten I, people unloading on him. <laughs> I think the I think the only rifle we see though, the monster grabs it and bends it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is a fun yeah, scene. Bends it above his head. Yeah, yeah, that is so cool. And then so he gets away, and everyone gets upstairs, and he almost comes through the hatch. He grabs someone in the leg, and I, I guess it's later on we hear a character has a broken leg. I don't think that's this character. 
Because no, I think that, that light break happens later. But anyways, he attacks yes, someone. Yeah. I mean, they're injured. and But they're able to hold him off. But they, at this point, it's like, uh, you know, we know he's coming at us. And, you know, come to think of it, is this a home invasion movie? <laughs> <laughs> they they live on this ship at least for the for the time for those several months or whatever. And I mean, technically, it's a motorhome, right? So it's exactly. just a different kind of a home exactly. invasion. I'm pretty sure uh, the strangers pray at night. The sequel involves mobile homes, <laughs> so yeah, this is and that this is a prequel to the strangers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Anyways, so again, what I mentioned earlier is I, I I liked I appreciated that there's like some attention to kind of military procedure here in terms of like okay court martial and, and there's like some mystery to the plot. I also like the the way the movie's plotted. You know, in terms of in terms of people are trying to attack this monster, they figure out grenades don't work, they figure out guns don't work, so then they're trying to figure out okay what else can we do, and they kind of keep mm-hmm. going from there. These characters are learning from what isn't working, which I think is good. I think that's important for a movie like this because like the strangers there isn't a lot of plot here it's kind of just monster on a ship and so so you need to have some kind of escalation you you know and i think that this movie pulls that off well i don't think the acting is bad in this movie and again you have to put it in the context of 50s movies but i would have loved to have seen more panic just a little bit more panic from some people you know what i mean I'm not saying I need Liv Tyler in The Strangers in this movie. That would be just weird. But I want a little bit... People are almost a little too logical at times. Even though I like that people are learning from their mistakes, there's a bit of like, you know, shit is hitting the fan. Shouldn't someone be freaking out at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think the kind of panic I would have liked you would have been able to find in any of the Alien movies. I mean, scared, I mean, again, I like we, that, we because... can't, we can't, it's just the 50s, so we can't really compare it to, exactly. like, more modern stuff, but I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm a huge fan of the original Twilight Zone series. There are some mm-hmm. great episodes where it's just people losing their minds and people panicking. Performances hold up pretty well in a lot of those. Yeah, and I mean, or again, even Star Trek. I mean, um, pretty much any panicky moment from that, but again, you're Except you're so when Kirk is a woman. Except that panicky moment. That is the <laughs> some of the most embarrassing stuff I've ever seen on television. That's great. What are you talking about? It's great. It's like the last episode, isn't it? I think so. Oh, it's so bad. So. It's so bad. But yeah, I mean, I I don't have issues with the acting in this movie at all. I I think it's all perfectly fine. Yeah. So, anyways, as people are figuring out what's going on, they they learn a little bit more about the monster. They learn about from some of the people that have been attacked. They learn that their blood is being has been like drained, and that they need blood transfusions. And then they they kind of figure like, okay, that makes sense. That's how the monster feeds. That's how the alien feeds. But because these people are like losing all of their blood, even though there is they don't have like wounds, like exterior wounds or anything. You know, they're they're still losing blood somehow. And so this means they fall into some kind of leukemia-like state. And again, the doctor mm-hmm. and the nurse are like, okay, we need to these people need fresh blood and this comes up a a bit later but there is uh again this is something very like scientific like they have vials of people's blood in storage like of course you would in a scientific mission you know if something goes wrong you want to be able to give that a person with o positive blood or you want to be able to transfuse o positive blood i I like that detail it's kind of neat i like that it was more of like a i mean you know it, it was more of a starship than the uss enterprise ever was you know, what do you mean? As in, they seem to have been prepared for almost everything. Okay. You know, they're like, oh, well, we've got that in storage. Let's go down and get it. Oh, well, we've got this here. He needs more blood. Well, here, we, we keep our blood stored in the level above the cargo bay. Mm-hmm. 
you know, in like this cold storage thing or whatever. So anyways, Carruthers, the main character who has been accused of murder, but is since exonerated, you know, you would think, um, he and some other guy, he and Calder decide to go to the to walk outside the ship and enter beneath the monster because they want to set up something to electrocute him because they figured guns don't work gas doesn't work grenades don't work let's try electrocution you know somebody saw the thing from another world it can kill 75 men oh yeah they say something like that so we get this nice little scene where they're walking outside the ship which as i mentioned earlier very simple effect but it looks pretty good and then they enter and they set up this thing where they electrify the ladder because they're they're beneath the monsters they're going to make noise have the monster come down to them but the electrocution ultimately doesn't do anything which at this point i think we're kind of expecting and calder gets trapped between like two tight like he gets trapped in like some tight space and he tells carruthers to go because he's got a broken leg, which was news to me. <laughs> Did he break his leg in this scene? Yeah, well, you actually see him get his foot caught around one of the supports for one of these things that he's fallen in between. Yeah, I guess I just didn't and get then, broken leg vibes. I guess I just didn't get yeah, broken leg like, vibes from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because then he yells, oh, I've broken my leg, get out of here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, okay. like, was this the guy earlier that was, that was attacked in the leg? But I'm like, no, he's not, because he was walking just fine. It must have broken in this scene. But anyways, he's trapped in this little space, and the monster's trying to get him, but he's got this blowtorch, and he's able to keep the monster at bay with the blowtorch. He's not able to, like, fight him in any way, but he's able to keep the monster from getting to him. Yeah. And so Carruthers gets back up to the top with everybody else, and again, with the intercom, they're able to communi- communicate with Calder, and this is... I find it a bit frustrating how casual this Calder character is. Like, he cracks a few Mm. jokes and stuff, and it's like, bro, you're trapped, and a monster is, like, licking his chops (laughs) looking at you. Like, you should be scared. Yeah, it's trying to eat you. (laughs) Yeah. But he's, like, cracking a few jokes, and and he keeps insisting. He's like, no, I'm okay. And then, but then Van Heusen, again, the captain of this ship, the guy that felt really intent on prosecuting Carruthers, insists that... Oh, you could have gotten him out of there. There's, you know, you did something wrong. This We didn't have to be in this situation. But then Calder overhears that on the intercom, and it's like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Carruthers, <laughs> Carruthers is right. And it's like, okay, what was that scene about? But the whole thing <laughs> exactly, is like, yeah. I think we're supposed to suspect Van Heusen here of like being... I don't know. I'm going to compare it to Alien because every single Alien movie has like one character who doesn't have the best interests of the group in his or her or possibly robotic heart. And um, so (laughs) I think that's kind of what's going on here. We're supposed to suspect that of him because eventually he does something that on paper could be bad and it doesn't end up helping him, but it was actually probably a smart play. Yeah. But anyway, so Van Heusen doesn't like him. And this is when they figure out they need to get the blood. So... Carruthers and a group of people go down to get the blood. They are a level above above Calder, where the monster is. The monster wanders into this reactor section of the ship, which they shut the door behind it. So then Carruthers and some guy trying to get the blood. One of the guys goes downstairs to help Calder to see if they can get him out of his tight spot. But then Van Heusen gets up and decides to, like, overload the reactor or something. He does something. He decides to take the shielding off it so like the reactor opens yeah and and, and, it's, and he was hoping the radiation would kill yeah somebody monster. says there's like enough radiation there to kill like 500 people or something or 50 people there's or, enough radiation in here to kill 100 men yeah and so they do that <laughs> and they're like people are telling him like not to do it because it's going to kill everyone else that went down there and they really need the blood at this point because van Heusen's one of the guy who need guys who needs the blood i think he's the 
only guy. No, there's another guy there. There's two two sick guys. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, But anyways, he does this and... It just kind of pisses off the monster, and the monster breaks out of his out of the reactor and attacks the guy that was helping Calder. But the others are able to get away, and they bring the blood. Calder's still stuck there, I guess, unaffected by the radiation. The radiation, even though the door was broken down, is stayed in that room. I guess so that's nice. It's okay though, Patrick, because he turns his blowtorch back on. Yeah, yeah, the blow that uh, that that uh, that, that blowtorch, man energizer batteries. <laughs> He's using that thing constantly. It just does not run out. That blowtorch is the MVP for this movie. Oh, absolutely. Dad and the costume. (laughs) But yeah, anyways, so now everybody is back up but Calder, and they look and they realize that, well, first of all, they use the blood to help Van Heusen and the other guy that were suffering, and they're back at 100%, apparently. And they look at the oxygen levels of the ship and notice that they've, they've dramatically dropped or gained can't remember Carruthers said that they've been using 40 percent more oxygen yeah yeah and and then they kind of piece it together that like oh this that means the monster is uh he's got these giant lungs because they're so thin air (laughs) on mars and i'm like okay following following (laughs) a bit but then they're like okay you know we drain the ship of the oxygen like will kill it and so everyone like immediately and at this point the monster is just about to break in upstairs you know this is your exciting climax and it is pretty exciting again for 50 sci-fi you gotta have to maybe put a slight asterisk on this movie it's no aliens or anything like that but uh so everyone you know throws their suits on including calder i guess again calder mm-hmm. just chilling at his intercom with his blowtorch oh, no no he uh they told him to limp on over to the airlock and just hide in there. That's right, yes. Isn't that what they said? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, anyways, the monster breaks in, but they open some emergency thing and blow out all the air, or all the oxygen, and the monster just kind of struggles and dies as he's, again, trying to come up and attack them. It's, you know, we see papers and stuff blowing around, which I didn't know there was that much paper on the ship, because that's kind of all we see blowing (laughs) around, because they don't have a lot of props, I think, Uh, and they didn't want to send a chair flying. But, you know, everyone's grabbing onto the handrails and stuff, like, you know, because you can easily strap yourself in from from being blown out into space. But yeah, anyways, that's our exciting climax. Monster's dead. Everyone else is okay. We've lost, obviously, five or six people or however many, but Calder made it. Calder's my favorite, even though he's the most, it's the most frustrating performance because he's just like, he just like doesn't seem like he cares, <laughs> which, I, which is kind of fun <laughs> in its own way. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed the climax. And also every time the monster broke through a new level of the ship, yeah. I thought it was great. Like you could tell they had like this plate and then over top of the, it's almost like they had this cheap tin or something like that, that the actor could just bust his way through and like peel this layer of tin back yeah, to make it look yeah. like he's busting through this metallic hatch, mm-hmm. which I, I loved. Oh, and uh, we actually forgot to describe the very end of it. It's that same guy in Washington. Again, mm-hmm. the, the guy in the suit, maybe military, you know, head of the space program, which isn't NASA at this point. I don't know. But he says, you know, we received a, I don't know, communication from our ship. Though, however many people have been to Mars, this is how many people are returning, like seven or something. And then he's, he says something, and, he, and this goes back to what I said about at the beginning about, like, um, 50 sci-fi was this just beautiful combination of, like, scientific curiosity and this almost, like, for lack of a better word, religious fanaticism. That's not the mm-hmm. right term, but that kind of, like, 
apprehension because we didn't know what was out there and this guy basically says like you know in our future ventures out into space we should skip over mars and he said something like another (laughs) another word for mars is death and that's the last line of the movie and i'm like oh that's so cool but again it's just like it's like we're fear-mongering about space travel now it's great yeah i mean yeah i i thought this was a great way to end the movie and to me, the whole movie felt just like a, an hour-long episode of Star Trek, which I loved. Hey, this movie's only yeah, about 70 minutes, so it's pretty short. The other, uh, the Strangers yeah. is only about 80 minutes. That was super short, too. Yeah, it was an hour 25. Yeah, that was a, both pretty short movies. Easy, a good double feature in that sense is that you're not wasting a lot of... I mean, these, you watch both these movies in the time it takes you to watch It, the other It, <laughs> one of the other exactly, It's. Yeah. So that concludes It, the Terror from Beyond Space. What are your thoughts? I really enjoyed it. I liked the whole 50s space aesthetic to it. I always love that. 50s and 60s sci-fi are both incredible for different reasons because there was a different aesthetic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. Like, it, it's it's totally amazing. I love it. The monster left a bit to be desired. A lot, let's be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot to be desired. But I, just, I don't know. I just loved how everything played out. Like I said, it, it was like an hour-long episode of Star Trek, I, uh, which I just really loved. I will say, I have seen 50 sci-fi movies with worse monsters. I've seen a lot of them. I've seen even good 50 sci-fi movies with worse monsters. The difference is a lot of those movies, and I'm trying to think of one in particular. I know it's directed by Jack Arnold because he was kind of... That's another It movie. It's It came from outer space there's so many it movies but anyways it came from outer space if this is the movie i'm thinking of is great because it's just great at building suspense we don't really see the monster until the end unfortunately the monster looks terrible but they reveal it at the end we see a lot of this monster pretty early too so that's kind of like other movies even if they're working with a worse costume or a worse monster are still able to kind of work around that and i mentioned here how we get some great shots of the shadow most of the attacks are done Mm -hmm. in the shadow and then the shots with the smoke those all look pretty good it's but we do get too much of just the monster straight on I liked all those mauling shots, like of, of the monster <laughs> mauling somebody to death, you know. And you see the shadow projected on the far wall of like the cargo bay or whatever. Yeah, it was. all that was great. But again, the, the movements of the actor in the costume. Yeah, and you see the little, folds of the silly. costume because it's not a great quality <laughs> costume. But the also the acting underneath it, you know, because because maybe a really good actor could sell that a bit better. But that's not what yeah, we got here I mean, with this guy who wasn't even willing to drive out for a fitting in the costume. Like, this is <laughs> this is the exactly. level of dedication we get from this guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even know if that's well, true. I'm funny. just going off of what you said. <laughs> it might not well, be yeah, true. Well, I, well, it's probably dude, true. If you look at it, it looks true. if you look at his face, I paused it a few times, and you can see the definite chin profile. Yeah, yeah, it feels true. It feels true. And there's one shot in particular near the end when... There's one part where, like, the monster is walking up the ladder and his face kind of, like, comes into a ray of light and it kind of stops for a second on his eyes, which just, like, painted and goofy. <laughs> it goes to his mouth and you see these rows of white teeth with the mouth wide open and not moving. Yeah, the, because the mouth is the mouth is stationary. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. Uh... Would you have preferred a monster to look kind of like, like the Gorn? Or would you have? Okay, so here's the thing: the, the this, Gorn this mouth open monster. What makes the Gorn bad? And you're referring to is it Arena? Is that the name of the episode? I think so. Yeah, man. I get Arena mixed. Uh, All mock time is the one where Kirk and Spock fight in an arena. This is Arena. This other one with the Gorn. Yeah. I get those two mixed up. So the Gorn itself, as a costume, is pretty good. I think 
what's bad about that is the acting inside the Gorn because he moves so slow. The costume itself is not the problem with the Gorn. No, I agree with you. And I was also going to say that like Tarzan-esque jaguar pelt or oh yeah the, the costume on top of the costume i suppose i wasn't thinking of that but yeah looks like it walked out of the set of like 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 a wannabe live action version of the flintstones well we you know, you know I mean? we don't know i mean the gorn he's got his own complicated alien society maybe he was an maybe you know they say he's like a commander but maybe he was just an actor who was in a tarzan film who knows <laughs> just wandered off set uh, anyways yeah so no we've got we've got a far worse costume than the gorn we've got bad costume creature acting but bad on a different level from the gorn i'm not even going to necessarily say worse than the gorn because not to focus too much on star trek <laughs> i'm sorry for anyone listening who does not care about star trek but the um the guy i think the direction that was given to the guy in the gorn is like move slow and that will tell the audience how strong you are that's not how it translates, yeah. but that's definitely what was supposed to be happening because Kirk oh, even sure. argues like, oh, I'm a lot faster, but it's much stronger than me. But anyway, so, so we get bad costume acting. We get a bad costume. We get some shots that hide the bad costume. Some shots that even look friggin' cool. Like when he's bending the gun, he's again covered in smoke when he's doing that. Yeah. It, you know, it's, the monster's not all bad, but it is. No, I mean. In this monster movie, unfortunately, the monster is the worst part of it. Yeah, and I mean, that's really my only gripe. And the monster isn't even that bad. It's just that once you actually start paying attention to the costume, you notice it looks kind of goofy. But for the most part, I think the movie's fantastic. Like, you know, it's 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 great. I love it. Yeah, I think it's and, a and pretty this good is pretty movie. Much my first, this is pretty much my first foray into 50s sci-fi movies. Really? Okay. Well, this is... Yeah, because I'm trying to think of... This is far from the best of them. Seen. Because there, there are some great ones out there. I'm a huge fan of The Day of the Earth to Still, The Original Invasion, The Body Snatchers, I think is great. Uh, Forbi- Forbidden Planet is a masterpiece. Yeah, maybe it was for... Which is the one? Have you seen Night of the Lepus? That's not, <laughs> that's have, not from yeah. the 50s, but it, I get a very no, that, 50s yeah. vibe from that. <laughs> I know, I love it, though. <laughs> uh no what's what's the one where like maybe i'm thinking of a fucking twilight zone episode nah never mind never mind i'm just gonna leave it at that yeah i'll, I'll say that this is my first major foray into 50 sci-fi movies well hopefully really hopefully we have a lot more we have a lot more on our list that we could potentially get to but you know i in three years time who knows how long <laughs> but yeah no i i love 50 sci-fi for a number of reasons i mentioned earlier just this genuine curiosity mixed with abject horror of we don't actually know what's out there you know as we're just starting to learn things but i also just mm-hmm. love the um you know there's a cold war element to a lot of these movies not this one so much this takes place in 1973 for all these filmmakers knew the cold war would have been over by 73 <laughs> um exactly yeah but yeah so i i like that but i also another thing that i like about 50 sci-fi is that a lot of the movies are effects heavy for their time but by today's standards are very very light on effects and that's i think some of the best sci-fi movies of that era have the least effects invasion of the body snatchers i don't know if there's a single like special effect in that movie i mean it's all just you know paranoia cold war kind of stuff and and those are the movies mm-hmm. that tend to age better this one because we have a lot of the costume doesn't age as well as you know other stuff but it it but it well, yeah, aged I mean, okay it was actually better than i remembered because i had seen this movie before this was a lot better than i remembered it originally being even kind of jumping onto that point the special effects in this movie aren't that bad at all i mean no it's just the costume it really is just the costume yeah 
I mean, because I'm thinking like the way they filmed um, him breaking the gun, him bending the gun. That's a special effect. Yeah, that was great. I even love the effect at the beginning when Carruthers is kind of giving that monologue over that Martian landscape. Oh, yeah. And then and then the ship takes off mm-hmm. and it's, it's like a sparkler or like a firework in the back of the ship and there's smoke and sparks coming out and somebody you can tell somebody's like lifting the ship with like a with like a oh I must say that I noticed something early it's it's the scene when the monster is sneaking in the ship but there is something like someone's like is that door open it shouldn't be open you can see yeah. the string on the door that opened itself oh, really? <laughs> you can you have, I, I caught it you know I, um i was watching a blu-ray copy so maybe or, ordinarily on a dvd you wouldn't notice but that's what i saw but yeah yeah so i did <laughs> i did notice one string but you know what 50 uh 50s sci-fi space travel space adventure movie one string that's not bad it really isn't <laughs> It's like, I mean, I mean, yeah. and again, an independent movie, too. Again, I can't stress this enough that, that this movie looks pretty darn good for what must have been a very low-budget movie, even for its time. Do you know if it did well, like in, in theaters or, or wherever it came out? I, I don't know much about its release. I feel like just the fact that I had heard of it even before I saw it means it's not obscure. But I don't know. I've heard of some read... random movies, too. I've heard of Big Bad Mama, too, so maybe that's not the best <laughs> example. I read one review about this movie from, I guess, when it came out, 58, and they said, this movie's a monster movie, and it's certainly that. It's all about the monster, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Oh, my God. That's that's that, that's a review? Because that's almost like something they would have put on a poster back then. I know, I know. I, I think it was a review from, like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember where I saw because I saw it on Wikipedia, so, yeah. <laughs> so I think we've kind of covered what we liked, what we didn't like about It, the terror from beyond space also known as It, 1958. So since that's it, Patrick, um, how would you rate this as a drive-in feature or both of them and both of them together? I'm going to start with perhaps not the not-so-obvious here in that I like the order of these movies. Because even though The Strangers is a lot more violent and a lot bloodier, I, I don't know if you have this experience growing up in Canada, you know, where you didn't have your first television until you were 25, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I kind of have these. You know I kind of have these memories of like you know late night flipping through channels and just like oh some like weird black and white sci fi movies on and it's like yeah I'll watch that like why not like I think that's how I first saw the day the Earth is still which is one of my favorite movies ever made so I have this like late night association with like sci fi movies of that era and you know monster movies maybe of the thirties too but so this this kind of brought back some of those feelings and some of those memories so that's why even though this movie is not violent it's not scary you know by today's standards or anything like that there's nothing inappropriate in it that's why to me it's a good second feature also i I hate to say it especially because you clearly liked the strangers a hell of a lot more than i did i'm sorry if the strangers is my second movie i'm falling asleep during that i really am really yeah i I think i would because i think i appreciate that the movie takes its time but the first half hour of that movie is just two people moping i mean like i have (laughs) enough of that in my personal life i don't need to see this I didn't know you were gonna say that and make that exact joke. <laughs> Solid. Uh, Except there's only yeah, one person well, moping in my personal life. But, <laughs> well, and anyone who interacts oh, with Patrick. me. But, but yeah, no. Um, a, as far as these two movies working together, I really don't. I have to think about this. And in theory, this is something I should have thought about before we, you know, press record. But you know, since this is a complete hack job, I really. I don't know. Like, the movies are very... I mentioned, I made the joke about It, the Terror from Beyond the Space being a home invasion movie in a way, and I it kind of is, but... 
I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to um, defer to you on this one. I don't know how they work out well or if they work out well. Yeah, well, let me, I guess, answer which movie I think should come first and then I'll, and then I'll tackle that if you don't mind, sir. I actually want it reversed. I would like The Strangers to come second and it to come first. And I mean, you're, you're I not have... wrong. I had, I had very specific reasons why I wanted it to come second. Now, contrary to what you and many Americans probably believe, Patrick, my friend, uh, us Canadians do have cable television, and we do make enough money a year to own a television before we are age 25. And uh, Yeah, but HBO Max kid, doesn't work up there. No, you're right. You're right. We're screwed. We're shit out of luck up here. <laughs> I mentioned that because one of our movies for next episode is on HBO Max. Stay tuned to hear about um, that. Well, actually, I, I have a very similar experience to you, I guess, as in my father would be watching something on television and there would always be some kind of black and white movie on. There were lots of black and white kind of sci-fis, thrillers, lots of film noirs on when I was a kid for some reason. Okay. So I guess for me, that kind of gives like a peaceful feeling of being at home and surrounded by my family and this movie though it's supposed to be scary and thrilling and and maybe in some cases tear-jerking which i don't really think it is because i don't think you get to know those characters (laughs) let's 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 uh, walk back that last part but i guess to me because it's from 58 and because it's a little silly in some ways that to oh, yeah. me reminds me of just sitting at home with my dad having having a few beers and watching these old when you were seven years old and yeah yeah but anyways yeah so i i would put this first because it is i think a bit more tame and again it's, it's kind of got that hokey quality to it but only because it's from 58 i actually thoroughly enjoyed this movie as we just spoke about mm-hmm. and i would put the stranger second because it's just a i'm calling the slog in a good way it's like an emotional slog from the beginning to the end, where in the beginning it's all these mopey people walking around, and I can totally understand how you would fall asleep in the. Beginning. I mean, I, I guess I disagree, just um, in in the sense that I don't get no motion out of this. I really don't. Like, I, I understand what the movie's trying to go for, but like, I don't know, the characters well, are just so what, flat for me. But and again, that's me. I, you know. Well, see, because I was even going to make the point that I like The Strangers more than other similar style movies because I feel like there's more of a character going on. And I think but, I think the movie's trying for that. I just don't think it really works because I think characters individually aren't really characters. Their character is completely their relationship. Okay, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I mean, I don't entirely agree, and I also don't entirely know why, mainly because I just really like the movie. But we'll agree to disagree on that point, I guess. Just like we did last episode. Ugh, we never agree about things. What anymore. did we disagree on? I don't remember that. I don't know. I don't remember, but we disagreed about something. What I liked Strange Brew. What are you talking before. about? No, we disagreed about something in the last two episodes. That's all I'm... That's all oh, I'm Dr. No, probably. Oh, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Screw you, Patrick. So anyways, but to talk about whether these two movies work as a uh, double feature... I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they're just too, just completely different. I mean, it, it always comes down to how different the genres are, or the the, the stories are, the, the the emotions are. And I think these are just two completely different movies. You know, I could see maybe like Doctor No and It together, or It and any other host of fifties, sixties sci-fi okay. movies or or, or how about i mean the the obvious pairing for a double feature with it the terror from beyond space is alien because alien in many ways yeah, is exactly. basically a remake exactly. of it but alien covenant though that was no that favorite. you hated that one <laughs> you're lying don't listen I like to michael him, fassbender folks. i like him a lot 
I like when he's playing the he's the only good part of erotic, but I loved it. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, um, which of these two movies yeah. do you prefer? I think I know your answer, and I'm sure you know my answer, but we got to cover this. Yeah, well, you know, to be honest, it's actually tough because I want to go back and watch it more times already than, than I do want to rewatch The Strangers. And I've only seen it twice, and I've probably seen Str- The Strangers a few more times than twice. I don't know. But I feel like it is almost infinitely rewatchable for me for some reason. I don't know. You know, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. I enjoyed right. it more. I was wrong about it. Because I just like the aesthetic more and everything. Yeah. Well, I've got to go with it, the terror from beyond space as well. Just because I think, especially because I think these movies are comparable in the sense of people attacking people who, in theory, are in the safety of their home slash vehicle slash mobile home. Mm-hmm. And I think, <laughs> I think this movie gave me that plot progression that I was really that I really felt was lacking about The Strangers that I mentioned when after Scott Speedman gets kind of taken out of the movie, the movie was just like things happen and then other stuff happens that's not really related to what just happened. This movie, it's people constantly using information they've learned and trying to figure out a way to stop the monster. It's a little silly. It's not a perfect movie, but I liked it. It's it's good. It's it's it, again. I said it's better than I remembered it. It's not in that top tier of '50s sci-fi movies, but I think it would be pretty darn close to that if only we had a better monster. Yeah, I mean, I'll agree with you because again, I haven't really watched '50s sci-fi movies. So then why are you but I totally with agree me? with you on the monster. Well, because I agree with you on the monster. All right. <laughs> I mean, and again, not to say I didn't like The Strangers. I I forgot how much I enjoyed The Strangers. And how much I enjoyed the acting in The Strangers. So, coming into this episode, I mean, I kind of laughed at the end of our last episode. Because I'm like, oh, good, we're doing The Strangers. Because I was kind of shit-talking that when we did Hush. And, like, really, in all honesty, like, I had only seen The Strangers once. I didn't remember it that well. Maybe I shouldn't have been talking shit about it. But then it's like, I was, so I'm like, I'm coming into this like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll be wrong. I was wrong those years ago when I saw it. And I'm like... And I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, no, I, I didn't feel, I'm, <laughs> I wasn't, this movie was exactly what I remembered it. <laughs> and I mean, like, so oh, this no. was actually, coming into this episode, I must say that this is, so far, the least exciting pairing of movies. Not to say they're the worst movies, I mean, we covered Killer Workout, but, like, just these two movies, <laughs> I, it was hard for me to get excited about them. The Strangers may have pretty much been what I expected it to be, what I remembered it to be, but it was a nice little surprise that it was... A lot better than I remembered it because I didn't I didn't remember not that I was blown away by it but I I kind of remember thinking like ah mediocre even for 50 sci-fi standards like no it's pretty good it's just it's not great but you know I was pleasantly surprised with it the terror from beyond space so revenge of the drive-in will return next time with Godzilla the original 1954 Japanese film from Ishiro Honda also known as Gojira, which is available on HBO Max, by the way, so stay tuned. And Picasso Trigger from 1988 from the great Andy Sidaris. So we are mixing giant monsters with giant breasts. That's what this that's what this episode is <laughs> gonna be. So join us next time as as we look to take on a few exciting movies. And I must say, we're finally getting around to a movie that I haven't seen, and that's Picasso Trigger. I'm only assuming Giant Breasts because I've seen other Andy Sedaris movies. It seems like a given. <laughs> and just a reminder as well that we will be watching the original Japanese version of Godzilla with subtitles, i.e., no dubbing, no because the movie was remade somewhat remade in 56 with 
reshoots for American audiences. We'll be watching the OG, the O Godzilla, standing for the G there. But um, <laughs> sure. yeah. Anyways, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And until then, I'm Patrick, and I'm Jim. Thanks for listening, guys.